Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? We're back for another episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Vinny Hardy. We got Aaron Gershon back from your many travels, man. Toronto, Nashville, uh, all over the place, man. So, so how you been? <laughs> it's probably the busiest uh, July I can remember working this beat, but I can't complain. I mean, two really good weeks. Uh, obviously, Global Jam with the basketball team and then you know, SEC Media Day is getting football kicked off last week. So all good stuff. Uh, and, you know, we'll have fall fall camp uh, next week. So I'm, I'm pretty jacked up about that. Absolutely. And we got a friend of the podcast back. Uh, she was just on here a few weeks ago, educating us on all things mayhem, all things women's college world series, all things who's going to make it to face Oklahoma, which is ultimately <laughs> what happened. Jenna Becerra, Pac-12 Network broadcaster, host Believe in Softball on these Believe Network uh, platforms uh, out here podcasting with us. Jenna, how are you doing this this summer? I'm good. Thank you for having me back. It's, it's funny because I feel like you know, once the women's college world series is over, you're kind of like, Oh, okay. It's, it's off season. But then there are so many things that actually happen during the summer for some of these spring sports, like softball, like whether it's for collegiate athletics or even just international and pro and travel ball for the, the youth leagues and things like that. So it's, it's been um, like kind of sneaky busy. Yeah. Especially with the portal too now. Oh man. That's like <laughs> a full-time job. Just staying up to date on the portal. Oh, I, I hear you 100%. That, that is totally true. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you do, Aaron. You, you're like oh, tracking and retweeting yeah. and is it a potential to I mean, commit? Yeah, basketball is a little easier because, you know, it's a 15, not even, it's a 13 scholarship roster. Kentucky never fills that. But this offseason, man, uh, it was crazy. And then football, you know, it's 20 guys a team. It, it's nuts. So I know softball and baseball, uh, the portal with – just how big the rosters are even crazier. And if it's uh, your full-time job to keep up with it, uh, especially nationwide, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if it's possible to keep no. up with it, but we do our best, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard. It's a few slipping, slipping by the radar, no matter how intently you try to look at it. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it's like the, and you think about that piece where it's like people coming from other programs and the existing college talent, but then there's also like the incoming freshmen, you right. know, like for example, Kentucky softball had three playing in the Alliance all-star game, you know, like this summer for, and they're all getting ready to come in as the fresh faces. So it's like kind of rectifying those two things because you have new talent in so many different ways. And you were talking about summer softball before we started recording. So tell us a little bit about, what all that entails, what all is involved, how it, how long it lasts, just enlighten us on it. Yeah, well, in terms of college softball, there's, you know, it's 
there's lots of things that happen like post women's college world series. Like you get all of the like awards are finalized and all of those things. Like, you know, Kentucky, for example, had a couple of all Americans on the roster this year. No surprise. Kayla Kowalik, Aaron Koffel, really fun to watch them. So you get some, kind of those like wrap up things, but then there's also leagues that they can play in like the Florida Gulf coast league, for example, where college players are still playing all summer long and they're only adding more and more regions to that. There's travel ball, like I said, so the young ones are, are playing and, you know, Nash, it's nationals time of year right now. So their um, their seasons are kind of coming to a head before they get maybe two weeks off and then they start again in the fall. Um, but and then international, too, there's been a lot of stuff going on. Uh, obviously, the women's national team for soccer for USA is mm-hmm. competing and the World Cup mm-hmm. is huge right now. Yeah. Um, but actually the world cup has sort of started for softball as well in the sense that, you know, we had some opening round for qualifiers and they'll be competing next year. Um, so that's, that's been exciting to watch too. Absolutely. And like you mentioned the whole women's college world series and it's everybody's on it and then it, it kind of <laughs> drops. So flashing back to that, you know, we hear, Omaha for the men, Omaha for the men. But we know for the ladies, everybody starts their season wanting to get to Oklahoma City. So tell us about the vibe there. I know you were there for this past World Series, Women's College World Series. The vibe, the stadium, the arena, the tradition. Tell us what it's like when you set foot at the Women's College World Series in OKC. It was awesome. It's as advertised, you know, and I think every year it only gets bigger and better. And you can even feel that when you're just watching at home a little bit. But to be there is obviously just next level. And because for me, it's like, yes, my alma mater and um, a team that I cover often in Stanford was there. Like that made it also very fun. You have all the alumni bases coming out to support. And I think the energy that you feel from every single fan base for all the teams is just like, this is what it's all about, you know, and it makes it so fun. So I was kind of running back and forth, like during the Stanford games, I was, you know, with, with everybody in the stands, like having fun, but then I'd be like sprinting to the press conferences afterwards and like back to the (laughs) press box and trying to make it all work, you know, but it was so worth it. It was like that, that chaos that you're like, wait, but I kind of love this type of chaos. So it was really fun. That was cool. That was cool. And you know, when I think when you were on with us, Oklahoma had won 46 in a row or something that somewhere yeah. in that vicinity, like, and they capped like it off. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's just you know, we were talking about who's playing for second, and and you know, <laughs> Jalen was on here talking about how I would just love to hang around that program just to yeah. see yeah, how it's in I the mean, water, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And they were they're fun to watch in person too because I mean who doesn't want to witness greatness right and you can see right. the way that they play I think the most impressive thing to me is just like how consistent they are like only one loss this entire season and their win streak like is just going to continue I think for a little while but the fact that they also knew how to face some adversity because sometimes when you win so much you can get a little bit comfortable, but I, I think they accomplished a really hard thing, which is to not allow yourself to get too comfortable because they had some, and I'm not just saying this because it's my alma mater, oh, right. it's a really close game against yeah. Stanford a couple times, you know, and, and it was high stakes. They even had that experience against Clemson, like in super regionals before Oklahoma city, and they still showed up and they still knew how to work through that. 
So to me, it's like, that's actually one of the most impressive things as well. Not just the skill, right. But that mentality piece. So would you say, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Man. No, go ahead guys. Uh, I was going to say, do you think they're going to make a, I don't really know the balance of powers between SEC and Big 12, but do you think they're going to be, obviously they have one more year in the Big 12, but is that going to be a tougher switch or is it going to be easier given what the Big 12 and SEC the comparison? I know the SEC is like usually 10 deep, but I know, I, I know obviously the teams in Texas are usually pretty good Big 12 wise um, yeah. and OU as, as well. I would say top to bottom, like if we're looking at just across the board, the SEC probably has more talent that's spread out. However, obviously OU is like head and shoulders kind of above everyone else, period, in every other conference, at least at the moment. But um, it's really been them, uh, Oklahoma State, Texas, and maybe Baylor kind of mixed in there for the most part in the Big 12 picture. And they've been very, very dominant, which is like understandable too, just based on the way they play. I mean, they're on track to be dominant in the SEC as well. But at the same time, like we have seen some changes, some shockers that have happened in the offseason, like yeah. Jordy Ball, you know, yeah. the Women's College World Series MVP mm-hmm. leaving to go to Nebraska. Right. And, you know, nobody would have guessed that. It's not a surprise when you think about the fact that she's from there and she wants to grow the game there and when she kind of laid it all out. But right. for anyone to want to leave, especially when you're the star, not just a star, but the star is um, – is just a shocker. And so now she's not going to be in the SEC, right? Like she'll end up being that's right, in Big Ten. the Big Ten. So that's that's going to be interesting. She would have been a senior at that point. Now she'll be in a totally different conference. I think elevating the Big Ten, though, with her presence there. I was going to actually ask you about that. Does that change anything for what OU is? I mean, obviously, it's their best player, maybe the best player in the country, but they're OU. Are they just going to reload, or are they going to be a little bit human next year because of that? <laughs> I mean – they're, 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 I don't know if they are human, but no, they are. They're human. <laughs> they're human. You know, Baylor beat them once. That was like our one piece of evidence to say that, that they're human. Um, but I think they have already kind of replaced some of the pitching that they've lost. And I say lost because Alex Duraco also graduated. Right. Um, so there, or she finished her eligibility. So there's that as well. Now she's playing pro. Um, but they've already reloaded with a couple of pitchers as well um, in that mix. So they have more arms in the circle they also, at the same time, if you hit that many home runs, uh, you're always going to put your team in the game. And it's not that they – that was the other thing that was impressive. Even when they weren't hitting home runs, like against Stanford, for example, in the World Series, they were still able to find a way to manufacture. So, But but generally speaking, like when you have that much power and that big of a threat from the top all the way to the bottom, I mean, you're always going to give your pitchers a chance. Right. Yeah, and that was – I think that was <laughs> – all of our questions, I'm like, how? <laughs> of course, it's going to boost Nebraska, but is it how much of a, you know, den is it going to put in Oklahoma? That was the question. And the fact that before all of our times, I mean, Oklahoma, Nebraska is a, a huge That's true across the board. I mean, that is true. They played the game of the century in the football back in 69 mm-hmm. or 70 or something like that. So before all of us were even born, the fact that you go from OU to Nebraska, that's. That's really interesting. I mean, how, how did Natty Patty and all of them, was it hard feelings? Was it just like <laughs> we understand? Or how, how was the reception to this shocking news when she announced it? Well, Natty Patty, is a, she's, she's a classy woman. So I think they were very, very supportive. And it, it was one of those things where people were aware that when she was first coming into college, Nebraska was one of the options that she had to go to. So it's not like 
no one knew there was any type of previous relationship between Jordy and the team. And Rhonda Ravel is a legend at Nebraska too. Like she's been a head coach for 40 years there. She played for Nebraska too, played in the first women's college world series that was sponsored by the NCAA. You know, like she has so much history um, being a part of that program. So um, I think for Jordy wanting to really focus on growing the game in that area too, like be in Nebraska, you know, so long it's been a lot of like Southern California talent, maybe some Texas, maybe some Florida, hugely tied to weather, right. And the ability to play year round, but now it's just spreading more and more. And Jordy's one of those, you know, she's Nebraska, uh, you know, hometown girl. And also you think of other people too, like Elena Votter for Stanford, Nigeri Kennedy for Stanford that, you know, one's from Kansas city, one's from Topeka, Kansas. And yeah. that area of the country, it's like starting to grow more and more uh, talent at the youth level. And so I think, you know, having that bigger picture in mind, someone like Patty Gasso can understand where the motivation is coming from. Yeah, so. I think that's that's the good part of the transfer portal, because there are some bad parts of it. I think we all know the bad in it. But stories like that, I mean, we've seen it uh, really. I mean, we've seen different guys leave a school to transfer to go take care of a sick parent, sick family member. I think that's a great use of it. Obviously, um, we saw it here at Kentucky, Wandale Robinson, football wise, going actually from Nebraska, ironically, coming home to his home state and just tearing it up for a year. So there there are good stories like that. So that one, like at first and, and when, you know, it balances the power, like you said, and brings it to a different place, not even just because she's from there, but to get some parity. I, I just think that's a win win. And, you know, I think we we hear all the negatives with a, the new era of college sports. I think that's a really positive story that should get more uh, more praise than it has. I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, she, her and Peaches James, who's another legendary pitcher alum from uh, Nebraska, class of 2004, I believe, they just had intersecting streets named after them in their hometown. (laughs) They're both from the same hometown. And um, they just had a big ceremony for it, you know, and and now Jordy's also someone who's going to Nebraska. So that kind of adds that extra layer to it. So yeah, I agree. Stories like that are, I mean, that's part of the reason you love sports. She won her a couple titles at Oklahoma and now you know from a from a team standpoint from a personal standpoint she's already kind of done all that and now while she's still a collegiate athlete to kind of put on her cap ambassador of yeah, the yeah, game right. I mean that's that is really exactly unique. it's a cool yep. story man for sure yeah yeah it definitely is and I'm sure I'm sure Nebraska will face some SEC teams you know at some point and that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, they already, you know, she already threw against some SEC teams at Oklahoma and things, but like it'll, that's always going to be when the fan bases like that come together, like the big red fan base, any SEC fan base, really, it's going to be fun to see. Yeah. Cause, you know, so in my opinion, to Kentucky's credit, they've, they've had Oklahoma on the schedule the past couple of years. I mean, they sure have they've come up short, but they've took their cut and took their shot to, hey, kind of measure where you are and we know where they are and going to see where we are before you get into conference play. So I, I kind of tip my cap to Coach Lawson and, and them oh, yeah. for even doing that. They'll have, they'll have no choice pretty soon, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, Coach Lawson's still one of my favorite Twitter follows uh, of all time. She's, I think, out recruiting right now in Southern California, and she's had some hot takes about traffic on the 405. And as somebody who – Grew up down there, traveled on the 405 many times growing up for travel ball. It's very, very entertaining. But 
No, she's she's definitely. Uh, I love what she's doing there. I think she's another person who has been um, a pretty steady, stable presence in the SEC, um, especially as more and more women and former players have have kind of taken those leading roles as head coaches. Because you, I mean, hate to give Tennessee credit for anything, but the weeklies have been there for forever. You know, they're kind of an established. Uh, recognizable name, even maybe the outsiders in softball. Uh, And Coach Lawson, like you said, you know, decade and a half at Kentucky, the the impact, the growth she's, you know, brought to the program and still wanting to continue to bring to it. So, you know, she would would be in that mix as well as far as been there and and, um, as far as being there tenured for a long time. Kind of like Stoops in football. He's the longest tenured coach outside of Nick Saban in the SEC. So, Yeah. I think it's huge when tenured coaches can still get better too. I think that makes a big difference. I mean, we've seen that with Patty Gasso. That's part of what's made her so great. But when you think about, for example, I saw, and it better in all kinds of ways, not just like the product on the field, but as a program as well, because you're kind of the CEO of the program, not just the, the coach really, at least that's how it is now. And with Coach Lawson, you know, I look at, for example, the highest um, average total attendance that Kentucky softball has had in the past eight years this past year. They average over 1,500 people per game, yeah. you know. So things like that, like you can see that growth in, in multiple ways. And I think those are important, too. Yeah, I think that's how you win in college sports now. You have to adapt, and especially now. I mean, we've, we've beaten yeah. the transfer portal to death, but now, you know, some and with softball, especially, you know, the SEC schools, Oklahoma, NIL being a factor and keeping, you know, if one girl makes more than the other, you got to make sure it doesn't cause a locker room issue. And that's hard to navigate in any sport and any level. So, uh, let alone in college. So, yeah, these coaches, the ones who adapt are going to do the best. And to see some of the longer tenured ones across college sports, we've obviously seen it with OU softball, seen it with some of these SEC softball programs, and obviously I can go rattle off some football and basketball examples. But those are the coaches that are going to win. Uh, I, you got to adapt to everything, and not to mention the game, how it, it's ever so changing on the field. And, um, yeah, those, those are the winners right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh- and I get it with the with the money and you being in the locker room not too long ago playing for Stanford. Do you think had different levels of salary been in play? Do you think it would have caused? I mean, human nature is what it is. But do you right. think y'all would have, you know, pushed that aside and still pretty much had the same dynamic in the locker room? Because if you go pro, you got to deal with that. You know, right. you're not going to be making the most when you go pro. So I, part of me is like, look, everybody wants to say, if you're making money and they're going to be dissension. I think make, to me it's a little bit of loan because you got to learn it at some point. Do you think mm-hmm. it would have changed the chemistry in your locker room during your time at Stanford? Jim? It's it's a new layer to a dynamic. Like, I don't I don't think you can ignore that. You know, I will say, at least from my personal experience, we, we kind of had a culture where we didn't know how much scholarship money each person had. And because right. uh, softball is a little bit different, you know, a lot of football, it's either full ride or walk on for softball and baseball. It's different. You can carve up partials. different percentages. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we didn't talk about that. Like we were all just teammates, you know, we mm-hmm. never went into like, Oh, well this person has a full ride and that person, no one ever talked about that. Um, and I don't think anyone really cared. 
But when you add in sort of this stuff now, it does feel like, yeah, they're, they're, this, they're just essentially pro players. I think it's one of those things where I, I believe that they should get, if you're going to make money off of their actual name and likeness, like you're selling jerseys with these people's names and numbers, absolutely. They should get a cut of it. Mm-hmm. But where it gets tricky is the pay to play part, I think, because it's like, well, that's not really about name image likeness. That's just about literally paying you to play, which would make you a professional. Um, so I think that's where it gets tricky. I, I think that more schools are trying to start things like collectives where they can potentially sort of unite athletic departments or at least teams and maybe even do some negotiations to where it's for the whole team. Maybe it's like not just for some individuals. I think those are good for um, at, least, at least in terms of team dynamics. Um, but I would imagine like it can't help but affect it. But I think it's about like testing the culture. It's like, well, can your culture survive something like that? And also like, does your athletic department have the resources to support those types of things? Cause I think we had like no guidelines going into this whole no. NIL thing. Still so. barely do. Yeah. Still, yeah. That's true. Um, so is it, you, you already talked about Oklahoma's winning streak, probably continuing on for a while. <laughs> so is, are we going ahead and, penciling them in for another title or not saying they go undefeated, but are there, are they pretty much a shoe in to get back to OKC and, and win it again? Or I think to get back to OKC, I'm very confident. Um, I think going into 2023, we all kind of knew they were going to three peat, right. And it was a big deal. No one's ever four peated. I don't even know if we refer to it that way, but yeah, no one's I ever done that. Know. Yeah. What's it even called? Like that's how good they are. Um, we haven't even named it yet, but UCLA did three peated at the, I think at the end of the eighties, early nineties, but, and then now Oklahoma has, no one's ever done the four times in a row thing because it's really freaking hard to do that. <laughs> like to have that kind of talent and have the luck for it to go your way too. Like, cause there is luck in sports. There is to a certain level. You try to do as much as you can to make it go your way as much as possible, but you know, so I, I don't know if I'm comfortable quite yet, especially because we may have some more transfer things happening across the country yes. to say that they're a shoe in to win 2024. But I think to get to Oklahoma City, I'm pretty confident in that. And the contenders, the, the usual suspects of everybody nipping at their heels, or do you, you see a dark horse contender maybe? kind of putting things together to where they can be up there with the UCLA's and the Stanford's that maybe nobody else is really seeing right now. Well, yeah, because UCLA lost so early this last year, we kind of didn't get that experience. And now they've lost a couple of their top pitchers just due to their, you know, they finally graduated with Megan Framo and Brooke Yanez and things. But I think um, I, I wouldn't call Stanford a dark horse at this point, obviously, because they made it to Oklahoma city this past year but they weren't necessarily on everyone's list at the beginning of the season to do that this year. They have done a very rare thing for them, which is getting a huge transfer. You know, the admissions are are really difficult. Normally they can't really mess around with the transfer portal. Like it's not something they're very familiar with because it's really hard to get people in, but they got Taryn Kern from Indiana, who was the big 10 player of the year this past season. She was, I think, number two overall in terms of home runs in all of college softball. And the number one person was Kiki Malloy, who played it mm. for longer because she went to the World Series, right? Yep. And, um, you know, it's a at a position they need in the infield, too. You know, they need infielders after having graduated some. So with that, she's a huge addition offensively. Um, 
And then, you know, they have some of the best pitching in the country. So I really do think that not surprised if we see them there again, too. Just so you had Courtney Gano, Washington assistant coach, on your latest episode of Believe in Softball. So still cranking out episodes and, and giving good content on the podcast. What do you got planned for these upcoming episodes or things you got in the works? Yeah, yeah, Courtney's great. Um, she's she's really awesome. I love having people who have so many different experiences within softball too, you know, like at the college level, international coaching pro, all that stuff. Um, but the next one, so Courtney was episode 124 overall. The next one is our 125th episode, which I am still wrapping my head around <laughs> because <laughs> I, it's hard to, to believe, um, not, no pun intended, but, um, Tara Henry is going to be the guest. She is the managing editor of D1 softball. She's also the head coach of the great Britain women's national team. And she won a national championship at UCLA. So she's one of those people where it's like, Hey, you've seen a lot. You've heard a lot. Let's hear from you. Um, so I'm excited for that. And you asked about summer softball earlier. I think the pro space is so overlooked yeah. during the summers, especially. So that's big athletes unlimited is starting this, this weekend, their championship series. The WPF has been playing all summer long, um, including, you know, Kayla Qualics in the WPF. She's playing her rookie season for for pro, and and it's really fun to watch. It's all the, the college players we love getting to play at an even higher level. So I just wanted to plug that as well for some summer softball. Absolutely. Awesome. One last thing I've got to ask about you, just going back to your playing days, just going up to practice every day, what, what came naturally to you where you – it was just it just came easy and that you enjoy going in and practicing and hey i love it and what was maybe the hole in your game to where ah, i gotta i gotta bust it and really work at this that you didn't like working on but you knew you needed to work on in order to get better in order to continue to keep your spot continue to play what were those two things that you know were happening during your time playing it's an interesting question because you're so right it's like we don't like failing right so we don't like maybe having to work out the kinks sometimes or it's not fun right necessarily sometimes other times it is fun i had a lot of fun always with defense defense came really naturally to me i loved it i was an infielder um i loved like throwing i played third base a lot so i love throwing out slappers for example like i had a lot of fun doing that every day like i enjoyed it um i you know you get a little sore you get a little tired because we were definitely getting like ground balls just shot at us <laughs> over and over and over but for the most part, you know, I, I loved it and I, I liked hitting, but my freshman year, I definitely had a little bit of a mental block where I was sort of just overanalyzing everything. It wasn't necessarily as physical as it was mental. And then later in my career, when I just sort of let that go and just like, just let myself enjoy the moment and not overanalyze certain things or not think about results. Um, that's when I actually started to, to do better and then start to enjoy it more. Um, but the thing that came easy was definitely defense. Okay. It's always, you know, we love, like you said, we love doing what comes natural, what we're already good at and doesn't take as much hard work to keep that sharp. But another thing over here that, uh, like you said, so it's fun to <laughs> the mental game in the game that every athlete has to, to deal with, you know, 
finishing layups with your left hand, dribbling with your left hand, stuff like that. There's little things too, like base running, right? People don't realize actually Mm -hmm. how much does go into base running. And we used to do not just running mechanics, but also being able to read the ball off the bat, knowing the situations like, oh, how good of an arm does that outfielder have? Can I take an extra base? Can I not? You know, there's so much that goes into it. And there's a lot of little things like that, especially in games like softball and baseball. So it's very interesting. Yeah, appreciate you sharing. Last thing, if some of you guys were you were nominated for the Utility Player of the Year Award for Broadcasting and you and Troy Clardy for the best local booth. Are you guys tweeted that out? Oh, so I'm getting some recognition, deservedly so, for all the work you do on the Pac-12 Network and everything you do TV-wise and the podcast. So good job on the recognition y'all got for That's that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and Troy's fun because we work together at Stanford covering the softball program. We work together at Pac-12 Network. He has a tree cast on Believe <laughs> covering, you, you know, so we have a lot of, like, overlapping areas in our professional lives. And so it was. it's definitely cool for, you know, to have a partner like that as well. Yeah. I've seen TreeCast on there. I got to have to pop in there and check him out one time. Let's do some episodes and see yeah. what we're talking about. He hasn't had me on yet now that I think about it. Oh, boy. So maybe, yeah, oh, I just realized man. that. Yeah. <laughs> Cardinal beef right here. Y'all just, <laughs> just get nominated for an award and now there's beef because he should have <laughs> been had you on a long time ago. What is he doing? Come on, what Troy. What is he doing? I know. Troy. Just bashing. They're not here to defend himself. I don't even know him. It's just bashing because we know you and he should have had you on. <laughs> Thank you. I love that you're just ride or die. <laughs> Team Jenna. We don't know Troy. You said he's a good dude, so I yeah. believe it, but then you say he didn't have you on. So now I'm conflicted. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, you know? No, nah, that's true. Right. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on with us again and you know, we have to have you on again. We'll be up three nothing next time we have you on, unless Troy gets on the ball. And yeah. gets you on. That's true. You on and getting your insights on all things. Absolutely appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank you. This is fun as always, um, and really excited for not just softball but Kentucky softball too, as always this coming season. So thanks for having me. Yeah, and we got to get Coach Lawson on. Speaking of, oh yeah, you know, we kind of like Troy. We ain't had her on yet, so. <laughs> yeah, see, that's okay. That's your that's your job. There you go. Troy no has one's his... perfect. That's right. It. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Coach Lawson came on this se- earlier this season, and she she had a really good time. She loved it. I think she'd be a great guest. Yeah, now her oh, media yeah. day is always fun. She's yeah, she's great. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jenna. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and looking forward to seeing all your content once the season starts. Too. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Anytime. It. Appreciate it. Jenna Becerra, Believe in Softball, Pac-12 Network, ESPN. She's everywhere doing her thing. and appreciate her taking the time to hop on. Uh, shout out to our guy, Jalen Whitlaw. I forgot to mention that he was not on with us this evening. But uh, we look forward to him coming back next Absolutely. week. He was busy doing the offensive coordinator, hey. coaching, fall camp thing. So it's, it's perfect timing because fall camp will be starting that week. So uh, we'll get Jay right before media day on Friday. So all good. That's it. We've got to welcome you back because you were <laughs> out um, covering media days, but then got to do the family thing a little bit last week. So Yeah, it worked out that my dad was in Nashville, too, on a work trip. So we got to spend some time together, got in media days, and uh, it was a great week in Music City, though. It was hot as all hell. And I, I guess that's the, that, that's kind of what's going on everywhere. But uh 
man, was it hot in uh, in Nashville. But it was a good week, man. It, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it's going to be moving to Dallas next year. So it'll be a plane ride next time. But uh, it was it was a great time in, in Nashville. Yeah. So what were some of your takeaways? Something stood out? So you, yeah. you of course, there for all four days. So anything yeah. that jumped out at you? Um, I think I'll, I'll go with Kentucky last. Um, but first, I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if you and Jalen got to it last week. Uh, I know you guys had uh, Keenan on, so it may not have come up. But Jimbo Fisher uh, was – I really think the, the coaches did a pretty good job for the most part of not having any big – slip-up moments or any big headline like last year let's call it like it was mark stoops made a mistake with the shane beamer comments i think we could all agree with that south carolina used it as fuel and i talked to the south carolina guys they do, they don't like mark stoops it is what it is so <laughs> there was none of that going on really but jimbo fisher had one nugget that stood out and that was you know we all when he hired bobby petrino we were all like oh how's that dynamic gonna work you got two you got two old heads two really experienced guys who know offense i know jimbo you know, the last couple of years that Texas A&M haven't been great, but, you know, he's had a, he has a very good track record. You know, he's a good offensive coach, uh, mm-hmm. historically at least. And already non-committal on giving the play calling to Bobby Petrino. So I think that <laughs> one, that one rolled some heads. That one was interesting. And also Texas A&M, man, there's just like a, I don't know what's going on down there. All three of their players came out like, I've seen guys wear shades before and it's a style thing. I get it. But all three of them had the same pair of sunglasses and they wore it for every interview. I thought that was, I, I don't know what's going on at a and uh, I haven't been, I know Jalen thinks they might bounce back. I, I don't see it, but um, you know, Jalen knows more ball than me. He'll probably be right. But uh, so that one was interesting. I think not like a, something that stood out nothing crazy but there's obviously a lot of South Carolina buzz um and you know I get it they had a really really strong finish to the season what they did against Tennessee and Clemson was impressive there's no taking away from that and they played Notre Dame really tough I know they lost the game but it was a good game um but 38 new players is a large number and not only 38 new players but Beamer pointed out they might start freshmen at almost every spot. And he said every position. That's exaggerated because we all know Spencer Rattler's the starting quarterback. We know although they have Hemingway at defensive tackle, there are some guys, some solidified vets who are returning. Uh, Juice Wells, you know, Joiner. So they got some dudes. But 38 new guys, that's a lot. And a lot of freshmen they're going to be starting. So uh, that's why I'm cautiously optimistic on South Carolina. I personally had them pick uh, – I picked them to finish fourth behind Kentucky in the East. Um but that one stood out to me. And then Lane Kiffin, just being Lane Kiffin with the NIL stuff, with the transfer portal stuff. Uh, there's no – he just gets it, man. I love Lane Kiffin personally. I think I think it's refreshing that he just says what's on its mind. Uh, he doesn't hold back any punches. You know, if he's going to get fined, he'll get fined. He'll tweet crap. Like, I love it. I know it used to get him into trouble. And I think he's done a little bit – I think he's done a good job of maybe mellowing his outgoingness, if that makes sense. Um, but – I just love a guy who tells it how it is. I always respect that. That's something I know Mark Stoops, you know, will not give away all, you know, like when they have an injury, he won't tell us everything. But I feel like Mark Stoops is one of the more transparent coaches I've covered. And I really respect that about him too. Um, so that one, that I love Lane. I just love Lane. His press conferences are always a joy. So that was fun. And then, yeah, that was really, the, those were the things that stood out most um, for me, just from a, I guess, a conference-wide perspective. And then, you know, Kentucky, one, it was really cool. I didn't even think about it until um, I think they tweeted that out, that all three of the guys that represented the Cats were from 
Kentucky at Media Day in Oxendine, mm-hmm. obviously Radcliffe, uh, JJ Weaver, you know, Louisville, and then Eli from Nicholsville. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool touch that Kentucky did that. Um, yeah. uh, it, 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 I think, like, I, if I had to predict, I thought maybe Trevin Wallace would have been there or something like that. But when they put it out that way, I kind of liked it. So all three, I thought all three of those guys did a really nice job representing the program and, you know, spoke what was on their mind. Didn't give JJ, didn't slip up. Proud of him for that. You know, he's given some bold Tim board material in the past. So, uh, but they were all a pleasure to be around. Um, and yeah, they're, I, I, I think, and, I'll, I'll let you get in here after this, but I think the biggest takeaway I had, and it was a story I was chasing going into Kentucky's day was, you know, last year, this was kind of the event that I think set the tone for what happened. And remember they were picked to finish second and they finally got the respect they were calling for and deserved because they had two 10 win seasons, but they like Eli Cox. I asked him straight up, did it get to your heads? And he said, it was impossible not to read and for him. I, he was just talking about the team as a whole, you know, it's impossible not to read things. It's impossible not to buy into the hype. And he said something along the lines of like, you know, there was some maybe complacency for winning 10 games in 21 and then having the respect already in 22. So, you know, he mm-hmm. talked about wanting to get back to the underdog mentality. When I asked, you know, Coach Stoops a similar question, he didn't he didn't go with the underdog thing. And I get that. That's coach stuff. But I thought he gave a really good answer about how he was upset and took responsibility for how the team didn't handle adversity. Well, whether that be the adversity of finally not being, you know, that was the first time I think. And definitely in Stoops' tenure, I don't know when the last time was, they went into the season ranked. And not just were they to pick second, they came in, I think, 20, and then they jumped to 12 or 7. I don't know how high they eventually – I think they got to 7 going into Ole Miss. So there were expectations from day one. So that was one piece of adversity. Then we all know what happens with Will Levis. That's adversity. I know Trevin Wallace and D-Jack did a great job, but losing two leaders on the field and squaring Jones, that's adversity. And – Clearly, you know, the leadership might have messed. I mean, the defense played really well, but who knows what's going on in the locker room to hold guys accountable. So they I, I really appreciated that answer from Mark Stoops, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So um, that was what stood out to me most, I think, from Kentucky's perspective. And it's still a testament to how far they've come to that. To, to win seven still. Seven and yeah. five be a, a down Bad year, year considering yeah. all that. I mean that twenty five years ago, you know we were we were drinking. Look, you it would take you two years to win seven games. You'd win you go that's three right. and eight and four and seven. You know, so it's 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 still progress, even though it's not where they wanted to be and where the fan base thought they would be. Um, going back to Jimbo, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm one that thinks that. Him and Bobby aren't going to work. I might be wrong. They might score forty-eight points a game, but I just—it's just two strong-willed guys. <sighs> to me, yeah. you know, Bobby's angling for another head coaching job. That's why oh, he's 1, trying 000%. to, you know, like everybody at Alabama gets a launching pad to a new job, come through and rehabilitate yourself and get a job. I think that's what Bobby's trying to do. But I just. Just, just to me, it's going to be a tug of war over control all year, <laughs> and I might be completely wrong, and they might just, you know, be harmony and just, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy all year. But I'll have to see that to believe it. <laughs> I am, I'm with you, man. I, I look, I, I actually, if, if, if Fisher gave up the play calling, I really like the hire. But I don't think he's gonna, man. They're like you said, and 
Look, Jimbo, I don't know how old he is now. Uh, he's obviously been doing this thing for a long time. He's got to be – he's 57, right? So he's won a national championship. He had Jameis Winston. He he did some good things. I mean, tw- I know it was the COVID year, but 2020 they went 9-1, and one, and you could have made an argument that they should have belonged in the playoffs. So, I mean, he's done some good things uh, offensively in recent years. It hasn't just been at Florida State. So um, – but I, I just – I don't know if it's going to mesh. And you look at that schedule, like, um, obviously they're in the SEC West, but they also have to go to Knoxville this year. Uh, they play Ole Miss on the road, uh, which teams struggle down there. They have to go to Baton Rouge, you know, for the annual rivalry week game. Uh, they get Auburn at home. You know, we'll see what Auburn is. Obviously, Arkansas is always a neutral site, and they, they do get Alabama at home this year. But, uh, look, I mean – at Tennessee as your crossover game, that's not fun. Going to Oxford's never easy. We all know, you know, going to LSU when they're good is arguably the toughest place to play in the entire country. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if their schedule is really going to – and they have to go to Miami too. And, you know, <laughs> Miami, I know they beat Miami last year, but uh, we'll see what happens this year. It, it's just that's not an easy schedule to navigate either. So, I'm not – again, I I know Jalen's high in A&M, so we'll see who's right between us. That'll be our little uh, – preseason disagreement but I personally picked A&M to finish seventh again I I just am not I'm not feeling it man I don't see it I I know they have a lot of talent I know now they gained experience last year but I I just don't see it working out I I just don't yeah so and then so we had Jimbo we had oh you know Vanderbilt getting eight place votes first place votes oh my god they got one the year before now they got eight so look, they're getting that's what sucks too is like they're <laughs> it's a joke, but like they're getting better. Like you look at their yeah. roster and you look at what Clark Lee's doing down there, they're getting better. I'm not saying they're gonna go out and win eight games, nine games, compete in the East. Hell no, I'm not saying that. I think they're a fringe bowl team. I think they have a shot to get to the postseason. They kind of made that clear at media days that that was their goal for the year, and I think it's attainable. But yeah, it, it, it that's why I released my ballot because I like to be on record. Like I have nothing to hide. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Like yeah. last year, I think last year I was, I, I, I'd love to find my ballot from last year. I know it was hideous. I think I had LSU. And I know a lot of people didn't work hard at LSU, but I think I had them last in the West and they won it. So yeah. and I had Kentucky, I bought it into the Kentucky hype. I've had them second. So yeah, I, I whatever, but uh, <laughs> it, it I, I just, I don't know, man, it, it really ticks me off that, People don't take it seriously. I know it's fun. You know, everyone likes to vote and they get to make a. Everyone likes loves opinions and whatnot. But uh, I feel like it's making a mockery of what Vanderbilt is building, which is something positive uh, for that program. It's making and it's not fair to the teams that do deserve those votes and do deserve to. You know, I know Kentucky didn't necessarily use the respect in the right way. They let it become a distraction or be too high on themselves, whatever. But some teams do deserve that respect, especially like, I don't know, Tennessee, for example. I think they do deserve to be, I know I know how you feel about Tennessee, but I do feel like they deserve the credit for what they did last year and some of the pieces they have back to be voted to finish second in the East this year. I do feel yeah. like uh, on the other side that, um, you know, LSU, I know that it's going to be hard to say they picked Bama, but I was glad to see them come close in the voting because what they did last year was really impressive. Um, it, it just, I don't love that eight. No, I don't think anyone deep down and maybe there is someone and whatever, but I don't think anyone deep down thinks Vanderbilt is going to finish about fifth in the East, let alone win it. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can get better and improve and, and still might not have the wins to show for it. I think that's kind of where they are 
right now. And Tennessee, you know, had to give him credit, but they, I mean, you win 11 games, you deserve the credit that you, that comes with that. Just like we, we sit here and talk about Kentucky getting respect for having two 10 win seasons, but you, you can't dismiss Tennessee winning 11. You can't dismiss LSU coming in and winning the division in Kelly's first year. That's going to bring you a little more panache or, you know, gusto or whatever that comes with it. So, um, but Joe Milton's got big shoes to fill. Maybe Hypo has him where he wants him to be because, you know, Hooker coming from Virginia Tech, I never saw that transformation from Hooker to Blacksburg going to Knoxville. Maybe we saw him. We saw him. Yeah. And when when they announced he was transferring to Tennessee, I'm like, okay, but, you know, I wouldn't I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> That's fine. No. Uh, so if if he can do the same thing with Milton, who can throw it from he across can throw the country, it for a mile. yeah, but can't throw it, you know, the touch pass to the guys off the flat, the little right. short stuff. If they got him fixed on intermediate and short, well then, look out. Yeah. Do they have him? consistently able to do it. We, we're going to see. We don't know yet. They're going to cruise through the first third of the schedule before they get really tested, and then yeah. we'll we'll see what we got. We'll reassess that. So, yeah, hate to get yeah, yeah, yeah. give them credit, and, and, but Milton is a big piece as to will yeah. they sustain what they did last year or not. To yeah, and, the, and I know, obviously, their, their style of offense is going to trip up defenses, and they get Brew McCoy back, but they also lose Jalen Hyatt, who – was mm-hmm. the uh, being best receiver in the entire country at winning the uh, Blinkdikoff Award last year. So that's a big loss. Cedric Tillman, I know, was banged up for the first half of the year, but they lose him. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's and uh, I believe the tight end Fant might have been might have moved on as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So and but you know their offensive lines in good shape, their defensive backfield, and I think their defense was a little, a little bit underrated even at times last year. I know at one point they had, I think, one of the worst pass defenses, but. That was a lot of it was because they were up so big and they were just playing prevent defense. They were kind of letting teams, you know, they're just keeping in front of them. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, Joe Milton's got a lot to prove, but Mm -hmm. I just think Tennessee has proven themselves to the point where they earn that number two spot. I think Kentucky, you know, has been the better pro. I still think Kentucky overall has been the better program the last seven years, despite the, you know, Tennessee owns them head to head. That is what it is right now. But um, I think, Kentucky's passed them as a program, but going into this year, it was hard for me to not pick Tennessee second, but I still mm-hmm. see Kentucky as the team to finish third at worst in this division, just because of what I was saying about South Carolina. There's a lot, there's not much continuity as you would think going on. New offense coordinator too. So I know Marcus Satterfield wasn't necessarily the most popular guy uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. I think a lot of people were kind of happy that a divorce happened there and, you know, it ended up the way it did where you didn't have to fire him. Um, but Dwell Loggins, you know, he's <laughs> his NFL track record is rich. It's like as bad as Rich Gang Gorilla. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens down there. And then you look at the rest of the East, man. I, I think I've talked about it as nauseam. I am as low on Florida as anybody. I just don't see it. I see a really good backfield. I mean, ETN and uh, and Johnson are as good as a duo there is in the SEC. Um, or is it jo- is Johnson the kid from Louisiana? Who's the kid that followed him from uh, Louisiana? Um, I believe his last name is Johnson. I'm going to double check on that because I don't want to be wrong. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we've talked about, we talked about the worries we had with Graham Mertz when he was a Kentucky target, you know, uh, <laughs> that translates to what Florida's doing. Um, you know, they did lose some pieces on, on the offensive line though. I still think overall they're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Montreal Johnson. So I did have that right. But, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't see it in Florida right now. Um, and I believe their defense coordinator, or at least they had co-defense coordinators. And I want to say that Patrick Tony, who was one of them, moved on this offseason. Yeah, it sure did. So even they have a coordinator change with Austin Armstrong taking over. So, you know, I'm not big on them. Missouri, I think their defense has a chance to be top five in the SEC with what they have returning. Um, they have great defense. They have a great defense. They have great defense. Yeah, that's what he might call it. I don't. I didn't see that anywhere written that's, at all. And he, he he says it from the podium. Maybe that's uh, what they're going with. But yeah, the death that was road so funny. Him. Yeah, but uh, okay, look, it, it's good though. I mean, look, the, Abrams, Draney, the cornerbacks, a stud. Uh, the defensive line, they lost McGuire, but they have some studs coming back there. Um, they they're in good shape on defense, but. I'm not high on the quarterback situation they've got. Um, we obviously saw what Brady Cook was. I thought he was thought he could do some things with his legs, but I don't. I don't know. Uh, we'll see if Luther Burton takes the next step. But Dominic Lovett goes through Georgia. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't know how they're going to score points. And then we talked about Vandy already. So I, I definitely think Kentucky and Tennessee are going to be the teams that can challenge Georgia the best with South Carolina lurking. But I really think you know, obviously it's Georgia and everyone else. But I do think the rest of the SEC is pretty close together so while i'm high on tennessee enough to pit, have them pin, finish second i'm not crowding them you know in that spot by any means yeah now in the moving around and you know networking and talking to different people mm-hmm. did you was there a lot of buzz or talk about the georgia versus the ajc thing going on down there at media days <laughs> yeah, there were jokes about it. I mean, there are definitely some jokes about it. Just Georgia, like they're gonna. I forget there was a comment. There was actually there was a question to Kirby. I'll have to find the transcript because it was really funny. But someone mentioned like, now you're gonna say I have you to pick. I or you're gonna. It was a seven and five joke floating around there. Um, but look, Georgia. I think everyone down there knows how good they are and until someone knocks them off uh i don't think anyone's confident that they're going to beat georgia this year and you know i'd never really um the one thing i found interesting with georgia i'd never been around brock bowers before uh i never even i don't even think i've listened to a brock bowers interview he is like the most humble short like he doesn't say much but he's humble he's all about his team. He doesn't want to talk about how good he is because he's probably, I, I've said it for two years, I think he's the best player in college football. Um, he's like, that's the type of kid that's dangerous, man. He is just, he's got it. You can tell he has that chip on his shoulder, but he doesn't, he doesn't let you know that. He's just very humble. He wants to pass all the credit. Um, and uh, yeah, that was really, really impressive um, for me seeing. Yeah, here, and here's the smart joke. But yeah, I was really impressed with Kirby Smart. He said, uh, he's something along the lines of, he said, I don't know who this guy is, but he told me y'all are going seven and five this season. Uh, and he asked that to Kirby. So, uh, yes. So there were a lot of those type of jokes, but, um, you know, what was interesting too, you know, going a little bit off Georgia, uh, there were a lot of Oklahoma and Texas beat writers down here and they're getting ready to, you know, join this conference and they were kind of getting a vibe on, you know, there's definitely some Steve Sarkeesian is obviously Lane Kiffin, 
Nick Saban know him really well. OU, you know, there was a lot of OU questions from Mark Stoops, as you'd imagine. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it was really interesting to kind of get those guys get into the SEC media days. And there were a lot of questions about those two teams joining and just how, how even deeper this conference is going to be. Uh, and also some questions, and I was able to ask them as well, just about the scheduling going forward and how, you know, there's going to be teams playing in different places, you know, rivalries are going to end, rivalries are going to continue, which one should, which one shouldn't. So those I think were all kind of the interesting. And by the way, both Missouri and South Carolina talked to uh, Abrams Draney from from Missouri. Uh, I'm tripping on the defensive lineman I spoke to from Mizzou. I'll get that in a second. But both Kai Kroger and uh, Tanika Hem- Hemingway from uh, from uh, South Carolina. And they all said that they're rivals with Kentucky. There's no doubt about it. And mm. South Carolina kind of went into, you know, being a little personal last year with the sunglass thing, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But Missouri definitely still, there's still that uh, Darius Robinson from Missouri. Those, you know, so there's a, there, there's something with those two games, but it is interesting. Uh, the Missouri players didn't love that uh, Kentucky's not on their 24 schedule next year. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see if that one's picked up in 25. Uh, I'm okay either way. <laughs> but uh, uh, personally, but uh, yeah, it, it was all all interesting as always. SEC media days. There's not, you know, there's a lot of reserve. You don't want to say something that turns into bulletin board material or gets you trending on Twitter. But uh, mm-hmm. there were still some nuggets in there that it, it's never a dull moment. Yeah, I think. But with Georgia and AJC, the part where Georgia had them demand a retraction, you know, with the. <laughs> With the headline, I was wondering if anybody was talking about that. Yeah, there were definitely questions. And has has any of the teams, the coaches, been upset with anything you've written? I mean, not maybe whatever demand of retraction, but you had, you know, right? And and come on, man, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, there was not much of that. There wasn't really any complaining. I mean, there were definitely questions. Just you know, nothing about the retractions, but stuff about you know they've had a. They've had a bad offseason off the field. I mean, I don't right. think anyone can deny that. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. a life was lost. And, yeah. you know, but there were definitely questions to both Kirby and the players. Like, what's the accountability like? You know, how mm-hmm. are you addressing this? And they kind of just gave the status quo answers. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Kirby did acknowledge that, you know, some of the speeding stuff had to stop. And there was accountability, I thought. But they yeah. weren't – they weren't – I was happy to see they weren't um, – like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh they weren't confrontational about it. They didn't, mm-hmm. there was nothing like that. So that was good to see. Sometimes it does go that way. Yeah. Uh, as, as we've seen, you know, Nate mm-hmm. Oaks, I think is an example of that. So, um, offensive. Yeah. right. So they, there were some, I think there was some good accountability taken there. And, uh, you know, Kirby before he, you know, his opening statement obviously touched on the, you know, the death of a player and a, and a staffer and how awful that was. So I, I was, a, I was pretty satisfied with what Georgia was saying up there. I couldn't, I've heard a lot worse uh, when things go south. Let's just say that. Yeah. So I was just wondering if it was one of those topics, but it, it kind of it was like a week before the event anyway. So it was had, yeah, yeah. The there's cycle for a few days. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I mean, maybe remember there are other rooms that there's an electronic media room which is for TV and radio that I'm not included in. So it might have come up in those. I can't say I've watched all the interviews from there uh, i watched a couple of just the ones i was interested in um but uh yeah i didn't catch kirby i caught brock powers in there but not not kirby and kirby from the podiums said that brock was one of the quietest players you'd ever meet and he said my challenge 
to like get three sentences. Media, yeah, yeah. So did, yeah, you, I, did you go to the catch every coach from the podium, and then how did you how did you work? Yeah, what's your, what's your well, process down here? That's a good question. Yeah, for all the teams not named Kentucky, um, sat through their uh, just pressers at the podium. I didn't. I didn't have anything to ask the coaches really this year. I kind of let those speak for themselves. I was focused more on the players. And then, you know, for the teams that Kentucky does play, I try to get something that, you know, it's a lot easier now with the portal. Like with Vandy, I was able to ask those, their representatives about Ray Davis and the, about what type of guy they're getting on and off the field. I was able to talk to JC Latham of uh, Alabama, the offensive lineman and ask him what they're getting in Tanner Bulls. Um, uh, I don't think that was, I think that was it for transfers, but like South Carolina and Mizzou, I went with the angle of the permanent rivalry because of how chippy it's been. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Florida, for the second straight year, didn't really want to say anything, so that was kind of a waste. Though I did find interesting, and it wasn't even my question. Someone asked um, the corner that was there from Florida uh, if about the hardest environments he's played in. He, he chose Kentucky and South Carolina, and uh, and you and that I guess you know I'm trying to think where else I guess. I would, I'd imagine he would have played. He's been there two years, so that he had, had to have played in Baton Rouge by now. You would think. So I couldn't yeah. believe he didn't just say that. Yeah. Um, but you know, we all know what the atmosphere was when he did come to Kentucky in '21 uh, when they won and the Trevin Wall. I mean that. So I, I kind of get the answer there and the eight false starts too. So um, that one was interesting mm-hmm. for Florida. But and then when it came to teams that Kentucky's not playing, I more listened in to see if there was anything just interesting to to talk on here about or, or tweet about something fun. Going on mm-hmm. Alabama though, JC Lapham was talking about how they're going to go twelve and zero and win the whole thing. So um, that was interesting. Alabama's pretty pretty confident, which they should be. I know that George has passed them lately, but it yeah. is what he also said something along the lines of like he respects Georgia, but they haven't established what Alabama has. Which I don't know. It's getting close. <laughs> it's getting close. I know they haven't won five yet, but it's getting pretty close. Um, so those were interesting. But yeah, that's kind of my approach with it and. Georgia guys, I didn't, you know, there's not much that you don't ask Georgia about other teams when they're Georgia, they're above everyone. So, but I did go, like I said, I went and listened to Brock Bowers for a while because I had never been around him and I was just interested to hear the type of guy he was, especially after the comment you brought up that Kirby said, it made me want to listen to him. And, uh, you know, he was interesting and that, or he was interesting, he was humble, he was a good guy. And then with Kentucky, you know, we get to meet with the guy, we get to meet with Stoops and the players before anybody else and do a local media session. And that was great. I actually, Stoops was kind of just mingling with us before and after. So I got to talk to him just off the record about fun stuff. And that was cool. So I appreciated him. I always appreciate when coaches are real with you and they're just real people and you kind of forget your job and their job and have conversations. So it was good to to talk to Mark like that. Um, and then also, you know, get some time with, with him and then with uh, Ox, Eli and uh, JJ before they went and did their whole, you know, rounds and all that. But when it comes to the podium and the, and the media room with the Kentucky guys, you kind of let the, I kind of let the, <laughs> the SEC guys, the guys don't get to talk to them every week, have their time. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'll have that question answered in August. I'm sure. So <laughs> media true. days on Friday. So, yeah. That's it. Well, good stuff, man. Glad you're back. Glad you're getting to yeah. exhale for a few more days before it's time to ramp it up. So Yeah, media day will be the fourth, and I think back-to-back days, right? We got fan day on the fifth, so if you're mm-hmm. around or wanting to travel up to that, they haven't released the times, but typically I believe 
you know, they do the autograph signing signing in the field house, which I assume is good to go. And you're, they're going to have it in the field house. Um, usually it's at 9 a.m. So obviously got to line up before that to get in. But the whole team will sign. You'll get to watch them. I don't know. It'll probably be a lightly padded practice at that point in the week. Um, so you'll get a little bit of a first glimpse. And uh, I think Fan Day is a great event. I always enjoy covering that practice. And uh, that's when you really start to feel it. Uh, I think Media Day and Fan Day is when it's like, all right, man, we're going here. Uh, football's around the corner. So uh, looking forward to next weekend for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to continuing to bring y'all content about everything coming and going as far as Kentucky is concerned. Appreciate all your coverage and insight, AG. Glad you got to have safe travels and looking forward to keeping this going. Like you said, it's that time. And, and this is that time. Keep tuning in. We're uh, Believe.com, Spotify, Stitch, wherever you get your podcast. We're doing the live thing on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. So we you know, comment and yeah. go on there. Got some people subscribing and all that. So appreciate it. Yeah, the engagements have been up. I've seen that. So I do appreciate it. That I've uh, I've been taking a look and it, it's been working out pretty well with the live, so I appreciate yeah. it. All. Yeah, yeah, so appreciate that. I'm glad, glad I finally got that switched over where it wasn't just the audio. You see a, a lot of other podcasts in the network. You see Bleed tweeted it out and it's the live shot, the yep. Twitter shot. So we finally got on board and, and got our live situation uh, in effect. So every episode, if Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. For believe in Kentucky, so we'll keep on doing that. And hope y'all enjoy it. You can listen or watch whatever you choose to do. You got the option to check us out, however you feel like it. But man, Aaron, we'll do this thing again next week. Nice Wednesday. See whatever happens between now and then. See if we get that Yachty from Northwestern. Who knows? We'll Ooh. we'll see. That's right. He's taking visits, and you know that would position of need. Linebacker still inside backer needs some depth there. Absolutely. So if that goes down, we'll talk about that. And y'all check Aaron out at the Catch Pose. Always putting out good content there as well. And get your yearbooks. They are out, by the way. They should be everywhere. They're online. They're out. They look great. Uh, really happy those are done. We're already getting started on the basketball one. I actually hammered out a lot of that today. So get those, please. What's the like for the online people out of state? What do you got to? What you got to do? Um, I will give you the exact link, but um. Let's see. Give me two seconds here uh, to give you the correct link because it's always, it's different than the 24-7 site. It is shopcatspaws.com. That is where you go for subscriptions. You know, if you want to subscribe to the magazine as well, uh, just get the yearbook for basketball football combo. Just get the football yearbook. Just get the basketball yearbook, whatever you want to do on there. It's shopcatspaws.com. And then locally, every five-star gas station in the Commonwealth, um, there's a select Kroger's, I think mostly in Lexington. But if you go to an article that Daryl wrote on the Cat's Paws site, every single location that you can buy it in person is listed there. But I know for sure every five-star gas station in the state, uh, some Kroger's in Lexington, Barnes & Noble in Lexington, um, Kentucky branded. Those are just some off the top of my head, I know. That'll work, man. Sounds good. I think I'm going to order mine. Awesome. I'll be in Kentucky in a couple of weeks, but I'm just going to go ahead and get it sent wow. to the house and I already have it and uh yeah I appreciate you letting everybody know that as well for sure let you know it's that time and then get get both of them get the football and the basketball yeah and basketball we should have it out right usually first week of October but like I said already 
already chopping wood getting to work on that so it's uh right. it's, <laughs> sounds good man sounds good enjoyed it thanks again to jenna becerra hopping on giving us some softball mm-hmm. knowledge in the off season and uh, always fun interacting with her appreciate you ag we get jay whitlow back next week and everybody take care and check us out next week for another episode of believe in Kentucky. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube